Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello and welcome to Coach's Corner. I'm Coach Andrew Porritz from Ingenuity Coaching. I help people to discover and fulfill their passions and greatness. My mission is to inspire and challenge you to dream big dreams, and with my coaching, help you to manifest those dreams into reality. You can visit my website at www.myfuturecoach.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Coach Andrew. If you're listening live and you have a question, the phone number here is 646-929-2893. You'll be able to listen to the show on the phone, and if you press the number 1, I'll know you have a question. Hopefully, we'll have time to get to them. We also have a live chat room right on the show page, and you can uh, answer questions there and talk with other people. So my guest tonight is Julie Budd. Now, Julie is considered to be one of the most exciting singers on the scene today. She's a winner of the Broadway World Award for the best show. They wrote the songs, and Julie has enjoyed a very multifaceted career that ranges from television to film, along with the New York stage, symphonies all over the country. Julie is in the process of writing a book about her days as a child prodigy, alongside the greatest entertainment legends of all time. Julie will be performing her show. They wrote the songs remembering Mr. Sinatra and Friends locally here in New York on October 21st. That's this week at the renowned Metropolitan Room, less than two months before Frank Sinatra's 100th birthday. Fans can connect with Julie Budd at her website, juliebud.com, and on Facebook as well. And from there, they can keep up with her touring engagements and exciting events throughout the year. And Julie has a new album that is about to actually has hit, Remembering Mrs. Sinatra. And uh, I have put links to her album and the show uh, here at the Metropolitan Room. It's on the show page. If you want to click there directly, it'll take you to the, um, the Amazon page where you can pick her up. And let's see if I can get Julie on the light line right now. Julie, are you with me? Yes, I am. How are you? I am fantastic. I have I have such focus, such focus <laughs> that I'm talking to you. How are you tonight? I I am good. I can't. This is a a, a thrill for me, Julie, because uh, I have seen you pretty much most all of my life because you have been around forever because you started so young and yeah. you and I are only a couple of years apart. So I grew up watching you, and you were a, a name uh, heard around my apartment growing up in Bayside, Queens, and and um, uh, so this is, I'm I'm very excited to have you on my show. Thank you so much. It's really, really great of you to have me on, and it's nice to be here. Oh, thank you. And then where are you tonight? Are you in, uh, are you back, are you in New York right now? I'm in Manhattan. Awesome. Me too. I'm waving for you, to you from uptown. Very uptown. <laughs> <laughs> I was working all day. Actually, I just came out of a rehearsal, and I, believe it or not, I have to meet people to get some details, musical details. Right after the interview, I'm going right back in. It's, you know, I go from one different show to the next different show, so it's, you know, I'm I'm constantly in uh, in musical hell, as we say. Okay, <laughs> you know? sure. Yeah. So well, we have a lot to talk about, and not you know, in in in, uh, in the next forty-five minutes or or so. So uh, let's get started. So uh, you have been around, as I said, for forever. You well, started... I've been around since I'm about. I've been in show business since I'm about eleven years old, and I started actually. 
Yeah, and I started professionally at 12. And, you know, so I've I've been out there as a child performer, but my career was never kind of dealt with like a child performer. I was just a singer who happened to be right. young. But I was always performing, you know, big band music and sophisticated music, and I was kind of glad that my career was that way so that when I finally got a little older, I didn't have to make any kind of transitions, you know, that a lot of kids have to make. Sure. Okay, so no, so you're starting, you know, circa 1968, is that correct? 68, so first, 69, yeah. Okay, so now that's in the that's in the middle of like the big it's rock and roll era. Most every 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 kid, 12 years old, 13 years old, is a Beatle maniac. He's listening to the Beatles or the Monkeys yeah. mm-hmm. or somebody like that. Right. Right. And 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 now were you not listening to that or were you just no? Like, I was did you have another? I was, I was listening to I was listening to everything. I really, uh-huh. really was. And I was listening to show tunes. I was listening to the Monkees. I was listening to the Beatles. I was listening to Nancy Wilson. I mean, I was listening to everything. And I think the fact that I was interested in everything, I think it developed my ear. Mm. It was, I was, I, I had a, it's kind of like, when you take a child to all different kinds of restaurants, they sort of get a sophisticated palate, you know? Sure. The way other kids don't. And and I think musically I was sort of that way. So I know, like, in my house, I grew up with my dad had was, like, the first kid on his block to have a stereo, and and he had hundreds of albums of every possible well, kind. Well, your dad probably us. had a lot of 78s if he was a collector. Well, my mom had 78s, but my dad had uh-huh. LPs, and we had, mm-hmm. you know, jazz and Sinatra, and uh, and I grew up on the Beatles. And So I'm wondering how, like, how was that in your in your house growing up? What was like, the influences on you that, that helped Well, this? it's basically the same as yours, but I huh? pursued it. Yeah, my mother was a great musician. My mother was an extraordinary singer. She was just, I think, a little bit too shy to deal with this business, you know? Mm-hmm. But... Her her aesthetics, her musical taste was was just exquisite. It was impeccable. And my mother used to um, bring me wonderful pieces of material to listen to, and <coughs> I just listened to everything. I'm like I said, I had a very very developed sense of music by the time I was ten. Hmm. But that really in a, in a sophisticated fashion. Now, you started in the Catskills? Yeah, I did. I, I went up to the mountains, and I I won, a, I won a talent show, and that kind of started it all. My parents never wanted me to be in show business. I mean, we were not showbiz people, and, right. you, know, they, you know, they really didn't like the idea of my being in the business, but they were wonderful. You know, when I really think about my mom and dad, God bless them, you know, when I look back and I think about my parents, they were really very liberal, especially they were mm-hmm. liberal for the time that, you know, you and I grew up in. And I was I was I really had free reign to basically try what I wanted to try. They were really wonderful that way, I have to say. And did, and did, like, did mom take you places? I'm sorry? Did like did mom take you to you know to auditions or to places? No, no. We, my mother was not a no no no. My mother was not a showbiz mom. 
My mother didn't want any part of these people, and she didn't want any part of this life. So it was but, like, here's 50 cents, take the subway? Yeah, and I went with my wow. oldest sister. I went with my oldest sister, Jill. Yeah, when I was too young to ride the subway. Because, you know, I was riding the subway when I was like 13 by myself. But right. My mother didn't. My mother didn't want me in the subway in the wintertime after 5 o'clock because it got dark. Sure. You know? And she didn't want me alone, like at 12, 13 in the subway. So my older sister, Jill, <laughs> was summoned to be my bodyguard. And she used to take me everywhere. I went everywhere with my sister. Now, did, does your sister sing? No, not at all. My sister uh, was, was a uh, specialized education was her field. And my mm-hmm. youngest sister, Susie, is a psychologist. So is there anybody else in your family that has the, 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 the magical skill, or are you the, the solo? Well, I told you, my mother, really, if you, if you heard my mother, you'd know. Oh, she said, she, your, mom, your mom could say. I just told you, my mom was a great singer, but, ah, okay. but, she, but she never could be in show business because she was way too shy. I mean, my mother, my mother could never handle this business. My Did mother she... sang on radio as a child. She sang really? with some big bands. Yeah, yeah. My mother was a great singer, but my mother could not handle the ups and downs of show business being in this mm-hmm. business. She couldn't do it. My cousin, <clears throat> who has since passed, God rest her soul, she was a wonderful, wonderful and very famous guitarist. Her name was Emily Remler. Mm. And Emily, if you Google her name, you'll see she was a a Grammy Award-winning guitarist. She was one of the finest jazz guitarists of our generation. And uh, Emily had a premature death, God bless her, but she was was outstanding. My cousin was outstanding. And um, I had very, very brilliant cousins like Paul Erdman, the author and the political advisor. Paul Erdman was my cousin. I did not know that. You know, yeah, no, we had we had very very. There were some really really brilliant people in my family, and some very very brilliant uh, business people in my family as well. But I was the one that went out there sort of mainstream, (laughs) and uh, my parents let me do it. I mean, when you think about it, it's pretty extraordinary. It is. I I wasn't allowed to do that. (laughs) Well, when I worked with Mr. Sinatra, I was 16 years old. And he invited me to be his special guest artist at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas. And wow. that's what this, yeah, and that's what this CD is all about. This CD is my, you know, I know that everybody in this centennial year is talking about Mr. Sinatra, but so many of the people that are talking about Mr. Sinatra never even knew Mr. Sinatra. I have to ask you about that, uh, the, 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 the Mr. Sinatra. Now, why do you refer to him in that way? Because that's who he was to me. He was Mr. Sinatra. So he never became frank to you even later on? No, and I never felt comfortable calling him Frank, although he would let me. He was, yeah. You know, I have to tell you, he was a very cool guy to me. He really, I have to tell you, you know, when I got the opportunity to work with Mr. Sinatra, everybody was warning me. I mean, I had been in show business now about four or five years, so I was kind of a little veteran by then, you know, and... Everybody that I knew, and I knew everybody because I had worked with everybody, and um, they all warned me. They all warned me, oh, you better be careful, you better be careful, this guy, you know, 
You never know what side of the bed he wakes up on. Watch it, watch it. And, and you know, that was not my experience at all. That just was not my experience. I mean, it was so contrary, it was crazy. What was it like the first time you looked into his very blue eyes? Well, he looked into my very green eyes. <laughs> and we got along like peas and carrots. I mean, I was on stage. We were in rehearsal. It was opening day. And um, I was rehearsing first. He wasn't even there yet when I was rehearsing. I was going through my music. And I actually was told by somebody, I forgot who it was because it was a long time ago, but they said Mr. Sinatra was not coming to rehearsal, that his conductor was going to go through his music, but he wasn't coming in. Mm. Well, another another person that doesn't have their facts together. Okay. On On my last song in rehearsal... I was told to hurry up because Mr. Sinatra was on his way. I went, oh, okay. So I was finishing up my last song. It was very, very dark in the wings, and I was under the hot lights on stage. I look to my stage left, and I see somebody in the wings, just like a, like a figure of somebody, because it was not sharp. I couldn't really see mm-hmm. him. I thought it was a stagehand. I thought it was, you know... One of the tech, one of the crew. And as I started, I finished the numbers, and I started to walk off on that side, I saw somebody with their arms open, like, hello, like their arms were open, like they were going to hug me. And as I came out of the light from the stage, and my eyes sort of adjusted to the dark of the wings, I saw that it was Mr. Sinatra. So he hugged me, I hugged him back. And he said, sweetheart, Welcome to the show. If you need anything, I'm here. And, you know, he just talked with me about the show. And mm-hmm. he he couldn't have been nicer to me. Anything I wanted. I, I tell you something, he really did spoil me. I was really spoiled working for Mr. Sinatra. Now, did he knew you, did how to you... spoil a girl. <laughs> That's what I've heard. He did, it, too. Yeah. Did you he get did. to actually sing a song with him, or did you sing by yourself? Well, what, the way he did the show... Because he really wanted me to be featured. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was really great to me, I'm telling you. And he said to me, Julie, you're going to go. You know, usually when somebody opens or is a special guest artist in front of, you know, a major star like that. Sure. They're lucky to get 20 minutes, 15, right. 20 minutes, right? And Pat Henry was on the show as well. He was his warm-up. Yes. So Pat Henry opened the show. And Pat Henry did about, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes. Maybe 15, 20 minutes in that ball game. Mr. Sinatra allowed me to do 38 to 40 minutes, which I thought was incredibly gracious. Incredibly. I mean, that's like unheard of. And he wanted me to go out there and to be my own person. He wanted me to stand on my own two feet. He said, You know what? I said, What? He says, You do not have to. Be held up by anybody. You go, uh, you go out there, and you do your show. And I did. And I got some of the greatest reviews of my life in that show. Wow. And, then, and at of this course, time, you're what age? Do you remember? 16. 16. I, I, actually, I'll tell you the truth. I wasn't even quite 16. Because wow. we worked together in April. My birthday's in May. So I wasn't quite 16 yet. 
Not quite. That's amazing. He was great to me. We had the best time. He was such a sweetheart to me, I cannot tell you. And all of those people, all of those people, how did it go? How did it go? I said, he was great. Oh, you're just saying that. I said, no, he was great. He was fabulous to me. He just, he treated me like I was a member of his family. And did you have a, an ongoing uh, connection with him? No. When I finished, well, it's, it's kind of a strange story. When I finished working with Mr. Sinatra, I'll tell you why. Because there was talk about me appearing with him on a few other engagements. And what happened was, this was his first new contract into Caesars, because he had left the Riviera. And this was his first um, entrance into Caesars. New contract for him. Mm -hmm. So there I was. When Mr. Sinatra went back to Vegas... I think it was that November. He was there twice that year. He did not have as quiet a time as he had with me. He didn't use me on the November engagement, but there was word that they wanted him to, to, to do something else with me. As it turns out, he didn't have a great time that November when he went back. There was, mm. I don't know. From what I understood, there was some turbulence in that engagement. I don't know because I didn't take part in that engagement. Right. But that's what I was told. But so much for what you're told because, look, they told me he wasn't going to be nice to me. <laughs> but what happened was, the reason why we didn't continue was because the next year Mr. Sinatra went into his first retirement. Remember when he came back in 73 and did yeah. that big, big show at the Garden? You sure. You know, Absolutely. the main event. The main event, yeah. Right. He, he had taken off for two years. Prior to his retirement, he had worked with me. So I wasn't very well going to be able to continue working with him because he went into retirement. Right. Soon after this engagement, he took a two-year hiatus. But what happened, now this is a great part, what happened, fast forward a year and a half, two years later, I had a big, splashy opening in New York City at the mm -hmm. Copacabana. Mm. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm in rehearsal. Everything always happens to me in rehearsal, right? I'm in rehearsal, and I'm doing a huge amount of music. It's my first... I mean, I had, I had done major rooms all the way up to that point, but this was my first big headlining engagement in New York City at probably the number one in, uh, venue here. At that time, was the sure. Cabana. And I'm at rehearsal. I'm opening. And, and, oh, we went on a break. We went on a break in rehearsal because I had a huge orchestra, and the union requires that you have to give the guys a break. So we're on a break. And one of the assistants comes up to me and hands me all these telegrams. You know, congratulatory. Remember telegrams? Remember before <laughs> yes. emails, we got telegrams. <laughs> That's right. And, and I'm opening up all these telegrams, and in my hand, in my hand, is two huge envelopes. One envelope is long and it's big. It's like three feet long. And mm -hmm. it's from Liberace. It's from Liberace. Wow. And Liberace was wishing me a happy 18th. He goes, now you're legal. And like he's, ha, ha, ha. You know, the card is like cute. I sure. still have the card. I saved it. And then the other envelope is a legal size yellow, you know, business-looking envelope. Mm-hmm. 
And on the return address, it says Palm Springs, California. It has an address. It says Palm Springs. Well, the only other person I know that had a place in Palm Springs was Lee, and I already had Mm -hmm. his card in in my hand. So I opened the envelope, and inside the envelope for my birthday, because it was my birthday, I was opening, that was my birthday week. So everybody was wishing me, happy birthday, congratulations on your big opening, right? Because Mm -hmm. you have to be 18 to perform in New York. I take out three pictures. One of the marquee that says Sinatra and Julie Budd, Pat Henry, and under it, B.B. King, right? Mm -hmm. And then... There's a shot of me and Mr. Sinatra. And then the other shot was me, Sinatra, and Herbie. We were, we were in the dressing room alone when we took these pictures. There was nobody there. And, like, who else would know we had these pictures except me, Sinatra, and Herbie? Wow. And, and there it was. And that picture sits on my piano in my apartment today. Uh, and that's not on any site, so I can't see it, can I? Probably not. Oh, I would like to. Well, you might be able to see, which has yeah. been publicized, because yeah. I've seen it online, is the marquee picture. Okay. Because that picture happens to be in Caesar's Palace. Mm. It's still it's in Caesar's Palace, because a friend of mine just went to Caesar's Palace and saw it there and and put it on my Facebook page. Oh, well, I, I, as your Facebook friend, I will go and look at that. <clears throat> yeah, you're going to have to scroll down That's a okay. couple of months' worth. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> but I'm it, sure it's, it's worth a trip. Yeah, no, no, it's on my page. It's absolutely on my page. But, I mean, so... That's my follow-up story. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, you, you know, Frank Sinatra is my personal musical hero from the from this world, the world of mm-hmm. uh, jazz and standards. And I know, no, uh, I I I think of you. I don't think of necessarily Sinatra. I think of uh, I think of Barbara. I think of uh, several people. I'd love to really hear about the the influences on you and, and how you found your sound. Um, you know. It's it's a matter of working. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're out there all of these years and you evolve as an artist, you keep working, your sound evolves, your life evolves, how you hear things, it evolves. Mm-hmm. It's like anything else. It's like, it's just like growing up. And, you know, you you have to take care of your voice and stay in training and so that you could keep up on the work that you want to do. But I really think that's that's really how it happens. You have to keep listening. You know, people that stop listening become hacks. And I and I think it's a really really important thing to note that it's 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 super important to keep listening. When you're a musician, listen, Tony Bennett. You take yes. a guy like Tony Bennett and Frank Sinatra. In fact, I just bought the book 100 Years Sinatra. Mhm. And and it's a, it's a sensational book. If you could get it, get the book. But in the book, there's a quote from Frank Sinatra. And he says, oh, yeah, that Tony Bennett, he had to come along. <laughs> and, and, and he said to Tony Bennett to read a quote in Life magazine that he did on Tony. And he said to Life magazine, Mr. Sinatra said, according to yes. Tony Bennett, because he quotes it in the book, Tony Bennett, Mm-hmm. He said, I picked up Life magazine, and there was a quote from Frank Sinatra saying that I was his favorite singer, that I was the better singer. 
And it's yeah. really interesting because when you think about that era, the two people who really were probably the most interesting male singers were Frank Sinatra and Tony Bennett. Right. Can you name the movie that, that they both appeared in? A movie that they trivia. both... Well, Tony Bennett's uh, uh, one and wait, only Tony dramatic only, role. Since something Sincerely or Sincerely mm-hmm. Yours. Or some, what was it called? It's called The Oscar. And Frank oh, Sinatra played Oscar? himself at the very end of the movie, winning the Oscar. Oh, it, wasn't there a movie that Tony Bennett was in? The only, he might have been playing himself, but this, is, this was the only dramatic part he ever he <laughs> Oh, ever I really? Oh, okay, okay. Then I was totally off. I was totally off and you were totally on. That's wild. So they did a film together, huh? But they sort of. I mean, he, Tony Bennett had a very you know strong uh, part, but it was uh, not not a good experience. Experience. It's very kind of funny to watch. But then at the end of the movie, the Oscar goes to for some reason Frank Sinatra, who wasn't even nominated, and he actually accepts the award. Oh, you know what film I'm thinking? I think I'm thinking of Liberace's film. Forgive me. Ah. I got I got a confused. I got a confused. I think it was a film that Liberace did that I was thinking of, but I didn't. I didn't know that about um, Tony and, and Mr. Sinatra. I didn't know that. I actually, I did Tony, a, a, Tony Bennett a is a terrific contest. man. He's a terrific man. He's just everybody, terrific. That's what everybody has said that. Which is He's a marvelous person. Very sweet. I yeah. actually led a trivia contest uh, <laughs> last week in Hoboken at the Hoboken Museum. They, they're mm-hmm, doing all mm-hmm. this stuff for Sinatra's centennial, I mean, nonstop. So that was one of the questions I used. Well, it's a brilliant question. <laughs> It's brilliant, brilliant. You know, they did the centennial also here in New York City at um, Lincoln Center. Yes. And then they had the thing at the uh, the Paley Center, and I got to see t- very tiny Tina, I mean, uh, Nancy Sinatra uh, and uh, Gay Talese and Twyla Tharp mm-hmm. and talking about Sinatra in, on, on television. It was really a remarkable show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, it was great. And I have to say... He was wonderful to me. He really, really was. And I wanted to do this CD, not so much because it was the centennial year, because truthfully, I was thinking about doing this years ago. You know how it takes you time to get around to sure. something, to, to do it the way you want to do it. You have to think about it, and you don't realize how much time passes. But, But really, I wanted to do it because it was a... It was an homage to a time in my life that I got to experience something that was really quite unique, especially for a kid of 16. So that's, that's really why I recorded Remembering Mr. Sinatra. And, and another thing about the CD that I did that's just been released, um, I didn't try to imitate the essence of the arrangements or the orchestrations or... I didn't try to reproduce anybody else's sound. Mm-hmm. I did I did the songs as I do them. As he wanted me to do. The one thing that sure. you know it's funny. Mr. Sinatra never asked anything of me, but the one thing he did ask of me, the only one thing is he asked me to continue to do this music. Because I think he was very very worried that in the time that we were that we knew one another. Mm-hmm. And in that you know, in that chronological time, of musical time, that he was afraid that those songs that he really had a great um, love for, and that he was very protective of the material, he was afraid that it wouldn't go on. 
because he saw music changing. And I'll never forget, you know, when we were doing the run, and we, I don't know, we got into conversations about a lot of different things, but one night we chatted about the material, and he said, Julie, you know, you have to do me one favor, sweetie. And I said, what's that? He says, you have to continue to do these songs. He said, because you're that new generation. He says, and mm-hmm. if you don't do these songs, they're just going to die. He says, you have to do them. He says, you have to do them for two reasons. And I said, why? Why? He says, you have to keep the, the material alive. He says, and, and you do it so well. He says, this is your kind of music. He said, so please, you, you, you must promise me. And it was funny because I remembered him asking me that. I remembered him having that conversation with me. <clears throat> and I thought to myself, you know what? Wouldn't it be nice to do that CD just for that reason, you know? So it just happened to sort of come out during the centennial. Believe me, I, I, I really didn't plan it that way. But That's amazing. But it just what are a couple of the, Tell me a couple of songs from this album. Um, All the Way, mm. I'm a Fool to Want You. I wanted to do I'm a Fool to Want You. Um, uh, I Got the World on a String. Mm-hmm. I do a really, really interesting medley of More Than You Know, The Nearness of You, and The Very Thought of You. I do it as a medley because okay. I remember. Yeah, I do them as a medley, and I and I remembered that he really loved those pieces. But it was a challenge for me, as opposed to other artists who who are mostly male who have covered Mr. Sinatra. Um, it was a challenge for me because a lot of the things that he did, um, temperamentally speaking, were very male driven. And 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 when you put them on a female voice, they they just didn't they just didn't seem like a woman talking to a man. It felt like a man talking to a woman. So um, I was I was I was careful to pick the things that had the sensibilities that related to me. Right. He, he did a few songs where he would take a female song like uh, the the girl next the boy next door and turn it into the girl next door, for example. And that's all okay. Yeah. But there were some other things that he did or recorded that had such a presence of him as a male, a strong presence mm-hmm. of him as a male, that I didn't want to do them because uh, they were too identified that way. Right. So I chose I chose other pieces. I think didn't, I chose didn't, other pieces uh, like. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Didn't they give him a credit on "I'm a Fool to Want You" because he? He yes. was so passionate about it. I don't know. I, he got a writer's credit on it. That's what I mean, a writer's credit. Because the, and I don't think he actually wrote anything. Just that he, he was so passionate when he sang the song uh, the first time he recorded it and like literally ran out of the studio in tears that they gave him well, a writer's credit. Well, you know credit. what? I, I, hope don't know if that's... That's not, I hope it's not true. Okay. I really hope it's not true because... That that's not good. That's one of those apocryphal <laughs> you know stories. Like I don't know if there's any truth to it all. It is, well, you know, it it's, all. it's kind of like it. It goes back to, you know, be careful. He's he's not going to be nice to you, and then I get there and he's great to me. So I'm I'm right. really careful of those legend stories. You know what I mean? Because sure. really, for somebody to put their name on a song when they no, didn't not that write he it. put his name on the song. That they were so blown away to say, "Oh, Frank, this wouldn't be a song. I got to put your name on it." Something along those lines. That's, that's you know the story, but I'm trying I, to say. I, 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 I'm choosing not to believe that. But, okay. but I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. 
because I liked him. And I know that there are there's a problem in our business about that, by the way, where there are celebrities that say that in order to put a song on their album, you have to give them a writer's credit. Right. And that's really an awful thing, I think, to do to a writer. So I'm 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 hoping that that's not a true story. <laughs> I'm well, hoping he only had I think four credits. I think he only had name. four writers' credits in his whole in his entire career. Well, that's that's fine, you know. As all opposed you have to, to Jolson, you know. No, but but all you have to do is have a writer's credit on the right, right. songs, and it and it's it's enough. But right. what I'm saying is, um, I'm hoping that Mr. Sinatra really did write it. Is what I'm saying. Right. Well, we'll we'll, we'll, ne- yeah. we'll never know. But I, I'm, I'll go with you since you, since, since, yeah. since you don't like it. I'm going with uh-huh. your with your story. So now, um, now I'm really I'm loving to, f- to focus on some of the the, the uh, younger stories because you have a book coming. Actually, I'd really like to hear about this book. That's like, where, what's the progress of that? Well, I'm really moving on this thing, and it's really terrific. I haven't been able to write any chapters this month because I've been in concert so much. You know, when you write. You have to be really disciplined about it. Mm-hmm. You have to get up in the morning and decide, today I'm going to write. Mm. Because if you don't, you won't. Writing is a, it's a funny muscle, and, and, you, and you have to discipline it, I suppose, like anything else. But writing, you really have to make yourself write. If you're going to write, you have to get up and say, the next six months is about writing, and that's, that's what I'm going to do. In my, in my case, in the last few months i've been so busy in concert i haven't had the luxury of that discipline but when i finish these uh last uh concerts um at the end of december i'm going to be finishing the book and i'm hoping that within a year uh it will be more than just a project that's not quite done yet it will be complete i'm looking forward to 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 reading it well you know it's a kind of interesting perspective because you know so many people who grew up in the business do you know they do a bunch of tell all books from their perspective and mm-hmm. i'm not i'm I'm really not interested in doing that first of all i i I don't like to drag people through mud, and I hope nobody will ever do it to me i I just don't like that, and I'm not interested in reading that either, so I have to write from my perspective, and my perspective is I'm not interested in that. what I wanted to write about I wanted to approach it sort of the way Tom Brokaw. Uh, approached his book called The Greatest Generation. Do you mm-hmm. know the book? Okay, I've heard great. of it, but I have not read it. You really must. It's it's an important book to read, especially for kids of our generation, because our parents and grandparents are the people that he's going to be talking about in that book that he talks about. It's The Greatest Generation, World War One, World War Two, the folks that really you know, built this country at sure. a time that was very, very, very important. And and a time in the world, which was pivotal. So he talks about the greatest generation. Mm -hmm. And he pays homage to these people with great, great respect. Well, that's kind of what I want to do with my book. I want to talk about these people that I knew. Ella Fitzgerald, Frank Sinatra, Mm. Danny Thomas, Bob Hope, Joan Rivers, Pearl Bailey, Jimmy Durante. And I'm a kid, and I want to talk about it, you know what I'm saying? So the point is, is that it's kind of like what Mr. Sinatra said. If you don't talk about it, and if you don't do it, they won't know. 
mm-hmm. that you owe you owe it to pass it down. And I want to talk about what they were like and what their contributions were to the generations that came after them. You know, the Billy Crystals and the mm-hmm. and all these wonderful comics, comical actors, Whoopi Goldberg, and you know, these people had a great, great. Uh, oh God, what's the word for it? Influence is really the best word sure. to say. They really influenced so many of these wonderful actors. You know, Cary Grant, who I had the pleasure of meeting through Mr. Sinatra, um, really, really influenced George Clooney tremendously. From well, I his, can see that. Of course, from his comic sense mm-hmm. to his style to the way he has sort of branded his career, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so many of these people that are here today have really taken a look at those legend greats. And maybe either consciously or unconsciously, they have really been influenced by some of the work that has been done. And, I mean, Bette Midler with Sophie Tucker, I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's a real big one right there. So I mean, there's there's so many people that, as a child, I I had the opportunity to meet and know, and it's interesting, sort of, from my memory, as a kid when it was growing up, living in Brooklyn, kind of living these two lives: one life in Brooklyn, one life in Manhattan, with all these people, doing the Carol Burnett show, getting to know Carol Burnett and all these people that I worked with, and then sort of going back to Brooklyn and living this sort of normal life. Did and you go to a regular like, school? Yeah, I did go to a regular school up until high school. Uh-huh. Because by the time I got to high school, I was so, so busy. I had a CBS contract, and I was, you know, going out to L.A. probably twice a month, you know, because so many of the variety shows were out in L.A. And so a lot of them were here at the time, but then they started to move to the West Coast. So I started going back and forth a, a lot, and it became very, very difficult for me to go to regular school. But I maintained all my old friends even today. Oh, that's great! Yeah. You, know, I, I, you know, I just thought I thought of this old, this great uh, like old saying that you were making me think about, and you're talking about the, some of these people, the influences. But there's a great old saying, which is, um, "When you drink the water, remember the man who dug the well." Yep, that is so true, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, and remember, that, yes. that man who dug the well may be your dad or your grandpa. Absolutely. You know, so it really, it makes you look back and and say, you know, my mom and pop were the beginning for me. And, you know, they want me to leave a lot more in a book than some tell-all nonsense, you know. If I'm going to write about something, you know, do the craft honor and, and write about something that really is interesting and important. You know, and that's what I'm trying to do with the book. Well, you know, I'd really like to hear, hear like, and, and this is, you know, stuff you might put in the book, but uh, there's so many, it seems to me that there are a lot of differences in the way things are in, in entertainment and show business and music and records uh, today than yesterday. I, you know, a few years ago, I, I took a master class with Marilyn May. Mm-hmm. And um, and one of the things that stuck out for me is like, oh, what you know, what's this cabaret? I call it nightclubs, you know, and and right, so I, I, right. it evoked a different sound, the way she talked about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also when you're talking about you know people, you know, when 
Mr. Sinatra asked you to continue to sing the songs, and there was a, a young woman in my master class with her. You, uh, you know who Marissa Mulder is? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean to have somebody that young and and continuing that that torch, it just makes me really really thrilled because you know. Well, imagine years ago, what it was songs like were going away. Imagine what it was like when I was sixteen and doing it. Yeah. With these masters, the people who originated it. Sure. Yeah. You know, and in the book I talk about Ella and what it was like to know Ella. She was such a nice woman. She was such a lovely woman. And, you know, just to to look back and really see what the struggles of their lives were. You know, it it was a tremendous tremendous uh experience to know these people and to see how they how they arrived at their lives and how they pulled themselves up. You can just imagine what it must have been like for Ella Fitzgerald and Pearl Bailey and well, I know, read Louis just, Armstrong. Just today, I think it was about Ella Fitzgerald that uh, that she, she, they didn't want to book her into some place because of her race, and then Marilyn Monroe offered that she would she appear did. She every night. She brought out the club for every, and then she was there every night. Yep. Yes, oh, she, you she was know there that every story. night. I just mm-hmm. read that yeah. today somewhere. You know, my teacher and dear, dear friend was Shelley Winters. Wow. She, uh, yeah, Shelley was very, very uh, connected with the Actors Studio here mm-hmm. in New York, and she took me on as one of her students many, many years ago, 20, 30 years ago. More than 20 years ago. More, more like 27, 30 years ago. And Shelley was connected with the studio in those days. And I was very, very, very close to Shelley. I used to go to her house all the time. I was, Shelley was, like, very, very dear to me. Shelley would sit for hours and tell me things because Shelley shared an apartment with Marilyn Monroe when they were kids and when they were both living here in New York together. Mm-hmm. They were like sisters. And, and from what Shelley told me, Shelley said Marilyn was the most, first of all, she was the best friend you could ever have. And she said she was the most generous person, and she loved her like a sister. And to the to the end, they were they were dear 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 close friends like sisters. She said it. She said she was like my sister. And Shelley adored Marilyn, so I'm not surprised. See, that's a story I believe because from from what Shelley told me about her, she said Marilyn was an extraordinary principled, wonderful gal. And I'll tell you something about Mr. Sinatra. So was he. So was he. You know, there was a time that um, there were some venues that gave Sammy Davis Jr. a lot of trouble. That's right. And Mr. Sinatra said, listen, I'm going to pull the plug on this contract in about seven seconds if you people don't get your act together. So Mr. Sinatra was a real stand-up guy uh, with that kind of thing in civil rights and he was, a, he was a wonderful person. He was a wonderful person. Look, I'm sure that he was complicated. I'm sure that he had his problems. I'm sure that he could be difficult. I saw that in him. He could be difficult. But I'll tell you one thing, he was great to me. And that's what counts. That's right. Yeah, that's I, right. I, and I never have cared about any of the stories. I've only, I've only cared about the great stories and the music. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say that. The most important thing about Mr. Sinatra, he was meticulous as an artist. Yes. He was meticulous. Mm-hmm. He was meticulous from the way he looked 
you know, he was funny, Mr. Sinatra. He always looked so put together, mm-hmm. even when he was wearing casual clothes. Right. He, he smelled good. <laughs> he always he always smelled like he just came out of the shower. You know what I mean? He looked good. He smelled good. He always looked pulled together. His music was pulled together. He was a real pro. He was a real pro, and he took everything very, very seriously from his lights to the lineup of the show mm-hmm. to who was playing lead trumpet. You know, he, he yes. really cared about his work. And he always acknowledged the musicians. Mm-hmm. You know what, you know and what, the orchestrators. The, the orchestra, and the orchestrators. And one of the things that really uh, I, 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 I know about him, that you know, in, in today's times when you have a, somebody go on stage and they're an hour late to start mm-hmm. their show – his, his 8 o'clock show started at 8 o'clock, and that was it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'll tell you something about Mr. Sinatra. He was in the wings at 7.30. Mm-hmm. And he caught everybody's show. He knew everything you were doing. There was nothing that went on that he... He might have had a lot of people working for him, but nothing went on that he was not hands-on about. He knew everything that was going on. And I'll tell you who else was like that. Liberace was like that. Mm. Carol Burnett was like that. You know, I, I think when people are great at what they do, they just they care, and that's why they're great. The masters. Well, it doesn't happen by accident. No, no absolutely not. What they call hard work and perspiration, and and a lot of caring. What do they say it is? It's ten percent inspiration, ninety percent perspiration. Is that what they're saying? Yeah, I was trying to think of that and I couldn't find it. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope you love the CD. I really do. I super do because you know what? I put my heart and soul into this. It was very personal for me, Mm -hmm. and I hope that you know when when people who are listening will hear it or go on Amazon and purchase it or iTunes or CD Baby or Barnes & Noble, you know, because it's all over the place on the Internet. Whether you download one song or you download the whole CD, I just hope that this is a body of work that people will enjoy for a long time. I really do. I, I just love it. I love this CD. Yeah, and, that, and you know, you just brought something up. You're making me think about it. I was, I was starting to get there about the differences in the music business. So uh, back then it would be, oh, so I'm going to Corvettes to pick up uh, the new Julie Budd album, or I'm going to Sam right. Goody's. Right. And now it's I'm going online to 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 get it. And and so how do you find this uh, for for well, you as a performer? There 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 are very charming things about living in the past. Mm-hmm. And then there's the reality of being in, in, in the present and looking at the future. Mm-hmm. The truth of the matter is, I reach more people now. I reach them differently, but I, but I really do reach more people now. So I like that, because what's the good of doing the work if the most people that you could possibly reach can't be reached? That wouldn't be cool. Absolutely. So, so... Yes, it was very charming. I used to go to Tower Records, and I used to bring my band in the store and sign CDs there. But you know what? Now I do it at Barnes & Noble. I just did a big signing at Barnes & Noble, and Tom Santro Pietro, who mm-hmm. wrote the book Sinatra in Hollywood, he, he interviewed me. And then I did three or four cuts from the CD. I had my band there, and I signed and talked with the people after the show and took Q&As. So, you know, we always find our way. We always find our way. And 
we have to go forward because things will continually change. So we, if we want to be out there, we have to change with it. And yet we're still uh, having the ability to c- continue some of the great music, the, yeah. you know, the great American songbook. Well, you know, the great, I just did a CD last year. It was called They Wrote the Songs. And They Wrote the mm-hmm. Songs is all about the new American songbook. You know the the the, the new breed that came around. The Beatles, so the new Andy classics and Calloway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Paul, well, oh, new classics her. was different. New classics is another CD that I did, and that was Burt Backrack and you know a little bit of the older guard from the new guard. But but mm-hmm. but but they wrote the songs was really some of the new uh, the new writers, the Paul Ankers. Anthony Newley, Leslie Brickus, you know, because there was nothing on that CD that was written before 1960, 1965. Right. And what I was really trying to say on that CD was, you know, the American songbook is going to be ever-changing, and it really has to, Mm -hmm. because as much as we love Gershwin and Sigmund Romberg and Oscar Levant and Rogers and Hammerstein and... Rogers and Hart, and I can go mm-hmm. on forever. As much Absolutely. as we love Dorothy Fields and Carolyn Lee and Cy Coleman, as much as we love them all, there are, there are new and interesting people that are out there, and they are going to be our new classics. You know, on the new classics, I put an Elton John song on there because I think that he is this generation's uh, new, interesting composer for theater. And, and I think if we anybody would try to deny that is crazy. I, I think that he speaks to a younger audience, mm-hmm. and and if we don't let that voice be heard, we're going to shut out an entire generation from the American theater, and that would be that would be a terrible thing to do. And he wrote the the Lion King, right? He wrote Aida. Aida. He, he did the music for Aida. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a tremendous tremendous talent. He's tremendous. He he wrote um, the music um, Electric. What show, what show did Electric come from? Help me. Oh, my mind is going crazy. <laughs> Welcome you know, to Middle Age, I'm your the host. Movie. I'm telling you, how many know. times a day do you walk into a room and you forgot why you walked into oh, the room? Uh, do you, you know, do that well, all day? I, and I have this thing like the, the plugged into my body, like the Internet, the Google. It's like in the, in the past I'd be able to think of it. Now it's like, oh, I'll just look it up. You know, God forbid anybody should look in a dictionary to spell anything anymore. Right? Oh, we're we're, we're doing uh, well. You know, I, could you remember anybody's phone number now? Yes, I still do. Oh, okay. Well, I you're like one of the five my... people. No, no. I, I, this is <laughs> this is my thing. I have to remember phone numbers. That's one of my things. I have to remember. I I die a longhand. That I still do. I I would be doomed. Like I'm doomed without my. If I lose my phone, I, I'm like uh, I could remember two two phone numbers maybe. Do you know, I remember my phone number in Brooklyn. I remember my grandmother's phone number. Oh, wait, what I, I was the how... exchange? This is, this is, this is a little On my grandmother? Uh, any one my of grand... them. Hickory 48618. That was 54th <laughs> Street, Brooklyn. <laughs> Don't get me started. I'm really good at this. <laughs> now, most people listening, uh, if you're not uh, at least, I don't know, 50 or, or so, you won't even know what we're talking about. But in the old days, 
the first three numbers of the phone number were called the exchange, and they usually had to do with right where you were. So like up in Washington Heights, you might have a H-I-4-8-6-1-8 Washington. H-I-4-8-6-1-8 would be Hickory 48618, right? Yeah, I had exactly. uh, H-A, I had Bayside 9, something was, when I was growing up. And I then there was Cloverdale 2. Remember, that was a big number. Cloverdale 2, had, they had a lot of exchanges. And, of course, there was a famous movie with Elizabeth Taylor, Butterfield 8. That's right. That was an exchange. That's right. That was the exchange, Butterfield 8. The only reason that that movie is called Butterfield 8, and today they would make no sense. (laughs) (laughs) They'd have to call it, what's your email? It would be like uh, 747 or 347, (laughs) the um, the movie. It would be not nearly as exciting, except that she'd still be in it. 917 or 646 or something. 917 coming to a theater near you. <laughs> I just want to. We. I miss that. I miss that. So, uh, tell me about your show that you're about to do. Well, I'm going to uh, on Wednesday night. I'm going to be at the Metropolitan Room, and I'm going to be singing um, Julie Budd remembering Mr. Sinatra and his friends, and because I did remembering Mr. Sinatra last month, but I want to do and his friends because I want to talk about his CBS TV show, and all the great people that he had on that show. And all of those people that, you know, he really backed them up in terms of their careers tremendously. Right. And, and, and gave them such a great forum on, the, on, that, on that show. So a lot of the music, I'll do some stuff from Ella and Lena Horne and Judy mm-hmm. Garland, Tony Bennett, Sammy, and then, of course, I'll be doing some of my Frank stuff. But the series that I'm doing at the um, at the Metropolitan Room is called They Wrote the Songs. And then each month I go in with a, with a version of that, remembering mm. Mr. Sinatra, remembering Mr. Sinatra and his friends. So it's versions of They Wrote the Songs. Ah, okay. So Which means that if you live in New York, go every month. You're going to get a new show. <laughs> That's well, what I'm what's great you. about the Metropolitan Room is I've, I've become their resident artist. Ah. So I go in every other month or every month, and I go in with a different show. And, geez, we've been doing incredible business. You really should come. I think you'll okay. have a ball. And then I'm going to be at the Berry Center. Oh, I go back to, uh, let's see, Wednesday's the 21st of October. Mm-hmm. Then in December, I'm there again on the 10th. And then on December 12th, on Mr. Sinatra's birthday, I'm going to be at the Berry Center in Mawa, New Jersey. Mawa, New Jersey. I, I love the, just the name of that town. I'm Isn't telling it a great you, do name? we love that? I love that name, Mawa, New Jersey. But, but they have a wonderful uh, performing arts center at the college there, and it's called the Berry Center. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be bringing uh, Mr. Sinatra to the Berry Center on his birthday. That's wonderful. Yeah, I'll have you fun. know my brother's doing a Sinatra show at the at Feinstein's at the Nico Hotel in San Francisco on the same day. Yeah, yeah, representing it's be great. we are we are representing Frank out here. <laughs> the chorus boys represent Frank. Let me tell you. Well, listen, it'll it'll be worth it and uh, well deserved. And uh, we were just we were just lucky to be in a time when some of this wonderful entertainment was around. You know. You know, I, I, I thought I'd tell you this little story. I took my brother to see Frank Sinatra, 1975. I was 19, he was 17, at, to the Eurus Theater. So it was Ella and Count Basie. Oh, that, my God. When he did that 10-night show. 
No, can we, can we you know what? Broadway? In what? the hundred years of Sinatra, there's a picture of that. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, yeah, you really maybe you'll see me. Books. I yeah. stood out. <laughs> we stood out like two sore thumbs because not only were we very young, but I didn't know anything about a black tie uh, affair. It didn't say it on the ticket, and I wouldn't even know what it meant. We showed oh, up in our leisure in a suits, and you were in shorts. Or we something. were in leisure suits. I, I, I was in white. He was in blue, blue denim. And literally everyone there was in a tux and a gown. And everybody but us were, you know, there, you know, there's Jackie Onassis and there's uh, you know, Avril Harriman. And, I mean, well, don't get me started um, oh. because I don't like going to the theater and seeing people in shorts. So don't get me started. Don't get me started. No, we were not in shorts, but we thought, oh, we, had, we thought we were dressing up. I'm, I'm not making no. this up because we were, you know, what did we know? Well, but that night turned my brother into a Sinatra fan because he went from rock guy. He was in a rock band. And now he does Sinatra. And it's all my fault. <laughs> well, you did him good, sweetie. You did him good. Thank you very much. So we're, we're pretty just about out of time. And I, I am so grateful, Julie, that you have spent some time with me tonight. Oh, and, you're a delight. You're a delight. Oh, thank you're so you. sweet to have me on the show. You really are. Oh, when, when, when uh, Richard Skipper offered me uh, an opportunity, I'm like, would I? <laughs> you know? Oh, well, you're a sweetheart. I appreciate it. And I hope you'll love the CD. I really Oh, do. I know I'm going to love the CD. I've loved everything you've done. I've been a fan of yours since if you were 12, I was 8, no, 10. Uh, I'm two well, years behind you. If you want to come to the show, let, let Richard know. I will. You and know, so, let, uh, let Richard know. I will. He, I hope Richard is listening. Richard, I'm letting you know. Um, <laughs> I, will, I will let him know. Uh, so everyone... Please, uh, the links are on my site, but again, juliebud.com. And if you go to, I actually made this really easy. You can even give this out. Uh, I made a bit.ly for you. Bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y. It's a, it's a website, a little shortening. Bit dot L-Y slash juliebudalbum. It will go right to your Amazon page, and, and, and they could just click oh, buy. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I really mm. appreciate it. So there. Thank you. And uh, I look forward to uh, listening to it. I, I hope to see you in person uh, in two days. And, again, thank you for listening. And thank everyone for listening. And if you're not listening tonight, it's in the future. You missed the show, but you could still get the CD. Well, thanks so much. I'm sending you a big hug. Thanks. I'm, I'm, I'm accepting it gratefully. And, um, <laughs> and we'll be back here soon. And thanks for listening to Coach's Corner on Blog Talk Radio. Good night. Take care. Good night.